Welcome to South Point. What's up, everybody online? I see you out there, everybody here in person. Glad that you are here, especially if this is your first time or you're new around here. Welcome. Glad that you are here. I'm going to tell you an incriminating story about myself, and maybe you're not going to like me after this, so I'm just letting you know up front, all right? So uh, about 16, 17 years ago, I was at youth ministry in North Carolina, and we took a group of students to Louisiana, to Nor- New Orleans, or New Orleans, as some people call it, for Mardi Gras. I'm just kidding. We didn't take them for Mardi Gras. We took them for on, a, on a missions trip, okay? Uh, it was a missions trip to go after Hurricane Katrina. Maybe you remember Hurricane Katrina came through. It was devastating to New Orleans. And it was quite eye-opening to see the devastation. And what we were doing is like gutting out houses. They called it mudding out houses. Literally taking all the soil and things out of the house, ripping everything out down to the studs so that they could maybe repair the homes from all the black mold, things like that. It was hard work. Um, and so we were there all week doing that. One day in the afternoon, we got a couple hours where we went down to like the French Quarter area to kind of check things out, get some of those beignets, those little French pastries, uh, you know, souvenirs, whatever, something like that, a couple hours. On the way back from the French Quarter to where we were staying, like the ride there, I was just hanging around, goofing off, talking, and there's this girl, Rachel, who's probably eighth, ninth grade, I'm guessing, by now, or about the time, and so I heard her say something like, oh, I missed the French Quarter, or what was the French Quarter, something like this, and I don't know, like, you know, sometimes, like, your brain just does things, you're like, why did I think this, okay, like, and then you, anyways, so in this moment, I don't know why my brain works like this sometimes, but it does, and I just thought of something, and then I just kind of went with it, and she says this, and I'm like, you didn't, you didn't see the French Quarter? Rachel, it was huge. It was massive. It was this enormous quarter right there. We all stopped and took pictures of it, you know, the French Quarter. And she's like, I didn't see it. Okay, make sure you know this. The French Quarter is a district, okay? It's like an area. It's like saying going to Mexican town in Detroit. It's just an area, like several blocks in southwest Detroit. The French Quarter is a district. It's an area. It's not an actual quarter. But in this moment, I just tell her, it was that massive quarter we saw. We all stopped and took pictures of it. I didn't see that. No, you're lying to me. Like, Rachel, literally every single one of us stopped and took pictures of it. April has pictures of it, one of the other leaders in the group. I say, remember the French guy? I don't remember his name, but he designed all the American coins, and the quarter was the first one. And so they made this big quarter, and they put it there, and everybody comes to take pictures of it. No. Ask April when you get back. She'll show you a picture of it. Like, I don't know what you're doing, Rachel. We all stopped. So I went to April real quick. I was like, hey, April, let's get a quarter out. And we took a picture of a quarter, like, really close to the camera so it looked like the quarter was the entire picture. That's all I could think of in the moment, okay? This is a really lame thing. Anyways, anyways, so we did it. And she asked April, and she sees this picture. She's like, oh, my gosh. I totally didn't think she believed us because it's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I was like, that's obviously not a, I mean, it's a, it a quarter made in the 1900s, you know, not back then. Anyways, but we did it, walked on with life, moved on, went home, back to North Carolina. I found out Rachel was telling people that story like it was real. She's telling people, oh, dude, the, the French Quarter, it's so big. And like, like, oh, no. And then we had this moment where, like, you get up in front of the church, kind of like, uh, and, and you're telling people about this, uh, about your mission trip experience or whatever. And Rachel tells the story to a bunch of people in front of the church. I'm like, oh, man, I was busted. I felt horrible. Like, I had to tell Rachel, listen, I was totally lying. I was joking. I thought you knew. But she was telling everybody that this, the French Quarter was, that was the French Quarter. Anyways. So yes, I'm a jerk sometimes. I did that totally. Like the reason I'm telling you this story is because that's funny. No really harm, no foul kind of thing. But this series is called Jesus in 4K. And the truth is a lot of us, including you watching and here in person, have some faulty, bad info, intel on Jesus. 
Like you got some information that you think about Jesus, you heard about Jesus, you think you know about Jesus, and we're making decisions based on bad info. And not only are we making decisions based on bad information, we're actually telling other people about, oh yeah, Jesus is cool with that, or this is what Jesus is like, or yeah, he's, all, he's down for whatever. And we've got bad information, which can lead to really bad decisions and hurting other people, whether we wanted to or not. So this series, we're talking about Jesus in 4K. We want to really get a crystal clear picture because 4K is the highest resolution, right, nowadays in our TV screens. It's the best crystal clear, clarity, lifelike picture that we can get. Let's get a 4K image picture of Jesus so that we know who he is and what that means for us. That is important because if we change who Jesus is, that changes lives. That's not so funny. So, if you missed the first two messages in the series, I really encourage you to go check them out. You can open up the ad or go to app or go to the website, watch the video or listen to the podcast. What you, if you, you know, online, you probably read it on the screen, but here um, you saw the video of what kind of this somewhat reenacted. Jesus is gaining popularity. We're going through John chapters 3 through 6. And in this moment, John, I mean, Jesus is gaining a lot of popularity, which means there's other people who are losing popularity, and that's the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. They're getting upset. They want to get rid of Jesus because they're threatening their authority. He is threatening their authority. And so Jesus, instead of antagonizing to the point where they want to kill him, he still has work to do. This isn't his time yet. He, wants to, he needs to prepare his disciples so that they can carry on the mission. So he leaves, kind of takes his disciples on a mission trip in a sense, leaves Judea, and he's heading to uh, Galilee, which is often called Galilee of the Gentiles, so those that are not Jewish. And so they take off, and there's, verse 4 is really interesting because it says he just had to go through Samaria. Why did he just have to go through Samaria? Now, if you're like me, when I ask Siri for directions, hey Siri, you know, give me directions to wherever, it, it usually pops up three or four choices. And I almost always choose the one that's the shortest, most direct route that will get me there the quickest. Duh. <laughs> I mean, like, that's a no-brainer, right? Now, my wife, however, loves the scenic route. Yeah, the scenic route. She loves, like, hey, here's what, Siri, I'm going to go this way. She's like, hey, can we please, 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 please drive 45 miles out of our way in an extra hour and a half? Wouldn't that be great just to do that? Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, no, that would be horrible. I'm the one driving. No, thank you. You don't even love me, do you? <laughs> How did that happen, right? Um, too much information, probably. Trust me, my wife, we're okay. We're fine. Okay, there's no problems. Don't worry about me. Anyways, that's like our experience. So, like, I want to show you a map because this is like, okay, you would miss this. We would miss this. Which direction would you take? There's lots of different options to go from Judea, let's say, in Ephraim, where he was, heading up to Galilee eventually. Samaria is right, right in between them. The dotted route, the dashed route, is the typical route that Jews would take. They would bypass Samaria. They would walk around east to the Jordan River, go around through Perea, and then back down to Galilee. You technically could have gone straight west to the Mediterranean Sea and just take a coastal trip, right? Or I put it up on the map for you. You could take Cindy's scenic route. That's the red arrows. Ooh, the Dead Sea looks nice. Let's drive down there. And I bet there's something cool out there, so let's go there. And then Jacob's Well sounds awesome, so we'll drive there too. Then we'll go to the Mediterranean, I mean, all over the place. Scenic, we'd see a bunch of stuff. Or you could take Jesus' route in green, the most direct, shortest route. So on the surface, you may think, well, Jesus is just a smart guy, right? He's not crazy. You just take the direct route that everybody would take. But there's a lot of historical and cultural significance and information that you would miss if we don't know. One, Samaria is full of Samaritans. 
Judea, full of Jews. Jews and Samaritans hate each other. They don't like each other. They don't get, each, they don't get, they don't get along with each other at all. Jews would literally walk around Samaria, so they wouldn't even walk through the nation. Interesting, they used to be all the same people. They were all Israelites. They were all Jews a long time before this moment. Israel was the nation, and they had a civil war, much like here in the U.S. There was a north, and there was a south. The north was Israel, which included Samaria, the city and now the area of Samaria. The south was called Judah. Israel was taken over by foreign nations. And when they were taken over, they were also exiled, meaning they literally took people from the nation of Israel, which included Samaria, and made those people live in other countries. And then they filled Israel with their own people. So now, at this moment in history, Samaria was full of people who were both, had mixed ancestry. Jews mixed with other Gentiles, Gentiles being anyone other, all nationalities other than Jewish. On top of that, not only they had mixed ancestry, they also had built their own temple, had their own religious practices, places, worship. So now, the Jew to the Jews, they were not just less than, they were like half-breeds. All kinds of names that they had for those Samaritans. Even some of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, would pray that there would be no Samaritan. God, don't save any of the Samaritans. It's pretty brutal, isn't it? It's horrible. Unfortunately, it sounds no different than what we've experienced throughout the history of the world, right? Humanity, even today. People do horrific things to people just because they look different. The color of our skin is different. You're a guy, I'm a girl. Our gender is different. Your DNA is different. And so we treat you poorly. You know, humanity always tends to divide. Religion always tends to divide. God created one race. He didn't create multiple races. He created one race, the human race. That, those things that we see as different, that the color of our skin, our DNA, if you're a guy or a girl, your gender, those are sacred. Those are actually a gift given to us. That's what makes you unique and in the image of God that you were created. He, he knows every single human being that has ever been on the face of the earth intimately, personally. And yet we don't see those as gifts, the beautiful creation of God. We see them as differences. And since they're different, then we always make one better than the other. And I'm always going to go with me, so I'm better than you. And so I'm going to make cultural, religious, social rules to make it harder for you and easier for me. And so we create barriers. Jesus just had to go to Samaria in this climate, in this context, in that society. The tension that we feel in our country and across the world is maybe even worse in his day and time. And when the world experiences hatred simply based on your religion, your skin color, if you're a guy or you're a girl, they're correct to call it out as evil. Racism is evil. Every civilization that we've ever known has experienced racism and hatred based on those three things. Christians, people who call themselves Christians, let's be honest, come on, we can't pretend like this isn't true, have done horrific things in the name of Jesus to people who were, just because they were a different skin color, spoke a different language, because you're a guy or a girl, or a different religion, that's true in our world, it's true in Jesus' world. Jesus breaks down these barriers. 
How does he do that? I don't know about what you've heard about Jesus, but he loves you no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from. But he also expects you to love other people like he loves them. And maybe there are people that you don't treat the same. I don't know. You do. His disciples would have never gone through Samaria. Never. Those are the Samaritans, dogs. Yeah, names for them. That Samaritan woman would have never struck up a conversation with Jesus. You know, just by having a conversation with that woman at the well, he's breaking three, at least three different cultural rules. One, Jewish men do not speak to women in public. They don't even speak to their own wives, typically in public, in their culture. Two, it was a Samaritan. We've already covered this. Jews hate Samaritans. They don't speak to Samaritans. And three, he asked her to drink from her water, which would have made him ceremonially unclean, religious rules, right? At least three barriers that he is breaking. The woman obviously knows this because she's like, wait a minute, you're a Jew and a guy, and you're asking me, you're talking to me in public out here, and you're asking me for water? Something's not right with this. I gotta ask this, I gotta, I gotta ask you this before we move on too far. Are there any cultural, religious, or social barriers that still exist in you? Are there things that you have, barriers that you've created, that you've been told you're supposed to have to keep people away from God? Are there barriers that are inside of you that you still hold on to, that you still act on, to not love people the way that God loves them? This Samaritan woman and soon his disciples come to the same truth that one of his later disciples, apostles, Paul, came to when he experienced, he met Jesus, and then wrote this in Ephesians. This is so powerful. Now in Christ Jesus, you, Gentiles, Samaritans, Greeks, anyone other than Jews, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That well is about to be a sacred place where Jesus breaks down racial, cultural, societal rules that mankind had created to keep people away from God. To make you feel more comfortable and justify what you've been doing to other people. That's not in the name of Jesus. That's in the name of you. Or in the name of wherever you learned that from. So, are you willing to follow Jesus? Because notice, the only reason why anybody in this passage started breaking on those barriers is because they were following Jesus. Disciples never would have been there. The Samaritan woman would have never talked to him. She's simply following his lead in the conversation. And are you willing to go where he leads you? So where are you going to go? Who do you need to go to that looks different than you, that you've been treating differently? It's not just racial. That kid at school that everybody thinks is, you know, whatever. They don't like him. He's a nerd. He's a whatever they call him. I don't know. That jerk, that guy, that girl at work that you don't like. That mean teacher, that mean student. That family member that you can't stand. I don't know. What kind of things have you created? Barriers in your life? Well, that person's different, less than, so I'm done with them. I don't need to go to them. I don't have to treat them. I can treat them as less than. If you want to break down those barriers, if you want to end things like racism and treating other people like less than you, less than others. Jesus gives us the formula, the path. It's always been there. And it's the same today. It's Jesus has truth, and that truth sets him free to love people. And his love breaks down those barriers. And then his words, his words sets other people free. 
And His Word sets other people free to then go love other people like Him and share His Word with them that will set them free so that then they can go and love other people like God loved them and share His Word so that they can be set free and do the same. But if you're passing along the wrong information, guess what? You're never going to go. And that's what was happening in Jesus' day. This is why our big idea is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus went where no one would go so you could know that He is the Christ. That's what Jesus did. 4K clarity. He didn't have to go this way. He wanted to go this way. It obviously was a divine assignment, a mission. Another interesting thing, and we, we kind of hear about this lady, her past probably is a little sordid. We don't really know what was happening in her past, but it's, she's at the well by herself. And culturally, women would never go to the well by themselves. Some things never change, right? <laughs> women like to go by... That she would never have gone to the well by herself. And it's noon, the heat of the day, most likely. I'm from the South, North Carolina. We have this thing called, um, what you call it, people? We call it the sun, okay? Like this thing called the sun, it actually produces heat. I know this weekend it was hot, right? It got to 90 degrees. I know, but we have heat. And like we learn from a very young age, I learned from a very young age, get as much work as you can done before 10 a.m. Like noon is a bad time to clock in to work. It's a great time to go swimming and a sprinkler, but it's a bad time to work. This lady is coming to the well at noon to work. She's not coming to jump in. She probably would have carried a jar that would have at least held five gallons, so about at least 40, 50 pounds that she's going to be carrying back to town, working in the middle of the day. It's a bad idea. So she's probably avoiding people. And Jesus, obviously, is intentionally choosing this route to meet someone. This divine appointment that she doesn't know about. And it's kind of comical in a sense because like she thinks he's talking about water and so she's talking about water, but he's talking about spiritual things and so they kind of just go back and forth. They don't quite understand him. But this conversation, I know it happened 2,000 years ago, but this is the same kind of conversation that Jesus wants to have with each one of us. To go where you are, no matter where you are, where you've been, because he loves you, to give you truth that can set you free as well. He also shows a little piece of his humanity. Hebrews chapter 3, I mean 4, we are told, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He was asking for water. He knows what it's like to be treated as a king. He knows what it's like to be treated like an outcast. He knows what justice is, and he knows what it's like to be treated unjustly, unfairly. He knows what it's like, what racism looks like, and what it feels like. And he knows what it's like to be tempted to treat other people differently. He knows everything that we've been through, what we've experienced, and yet the difference is that he's never succumbed to those temptations. He never sinned, which is encouraging because he knows what we've been through. It's encouraging for the Samaritan lady because he knows what she's been through. And even though, wherever she's been in her past, Jesus knows her current situation. He knows her past, he knows her current situation, and still comes to where she is. I don't know about you, that's encouraging to me. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. And I think sometimes Jesus would never want to come to where I've been and what I've done. He comes to give you what you need. Which again, is kind of comical. Because she thinks she's looking for water so that she never has to carry this 40 pounds of water a mile back to the town anymore. But he's not coming to bring her that kind of water. He's coming to bring her something else, what she needs. She doesn't even know it's possible. 
She said, wait a minute, you obviously must be different. So she mentions Jacob. Jacob was an ancestor of both the Samaritans and the Jews. And so they both recognized Jacob because he was a leader, a patriarch before the Civil War. And this was his well, a Jew. And then he tells her her past, what he knows about her. And she's, wait, whoa, 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 you're, you're, you're not just Jacob, you're powerful. You must be a prophet because how, how else can you know my story, the truth about me? She says, yeah, I want this water. But again, she, she thinks it's water, so she doesn't carry 40 pounds back to town. And then she says, wait a minute, she builds that wall up again. Yeah, you Jews talk about this, but you worship back in the temple in Jerusalem. And I'm a Samaritan, I can't worship there. We worship here. So she can't have access to it. Once again, we tend to divide. And this is where Jesus, man, he brings his 4K clarity for this lady. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. True worshipers are not limited to any special place, any building. Most of human history, people worship in a building, worship some structure, create creation, you know, animals made of wood, gods made of stone and steel in a certain place. God is not a God of a place. God is spirit. He's everywhere. He's also a God not just of spirit, but of truth. What about us? Like, what rules have you made on worship? Certain building certain style of seating, what you have to wear or don't wear. What about truth? Have you heard that, you know, you can just kind of believe whatever, they all lead to the same place? God is helping her understand, I'm, I'm not a God of a place. I, I'm spirit, I'm, I'm everywhere, but I'm also a God of truth. You worship what you don't know, we worship what we do know. This wasn't an insult. You, you, you've heard a lot of things, but what I'm telling you is truth. You've heard this, but now I'm bringing you truth. What have you heard that may not be true? And then she says, wait a minute. She's recognizing, wait, this guy is, this guy's saying something here, but wait a minute. The Messiah, she's heard of the Messiah, this Christ that's going to come one day and tell us all these things that's true. He's going to come one day, and when he comes, he'll tell us all these things. So that's for the future. And in that moment, this is the moment where, as far as we know, this is the first time Jesus gives his true identity. First time that we know him. And he says, I who speak to you am he, verse 25. Literally, that would have been, I that speak to you, I am. Anyway, we may, catch, may miss this, but that's the actual name that God gives his people, Israel, his personal, the holy name of God, Yahweh, I am. The God who is and was. You see, Yahweh, God, is not like any of these gods that the Egyptians or the Greeks or the Gentiles or the Romans or whoever else worshiped. He was not created. There is no beginning to this God. He simply is. I always have been. I always will be. I'm, I'm, I'm God. I am. I'm not created. He's different, distinct. And that was his name, I am. And the Jews revered his name so much that they would never speak it out loud. If Jesus would have said this back in Judea, it's likely that he could have been punished by even death, capital punishment, for simply saying his name out loud, plus saying he is God. But this Samaritan lady doesn't want to kill him. She actually, she believes him. 
Isn't that, it's amazing. All the Jews, most of the Jews that he's met up to this point don't believe him. Confused by him, although they've known about this Messiah. They've had so much information to recognize him, but the Samaritan woman recognizes the Messiah and believes. And come back next week because it's not just her. Not in the, almost an entire town, it seems like, finds out about this Jesus. And like restoration, reconciliation, both racial and spiritual, happens to an entire town. And their faith begins to challenge the Jewish disciples' faith. So come back next week and find out more about that and what happens in this lady's life. But later in his life, in Jesus' earthly life, his ministry, he asked this question to one of his, his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And this is important. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Samaritan woman, Paul, remember the disciple that later wrote Ephesians, telling how Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. The Samaritan woman, Paul, and now Peter all come to the same realization, conclusion, make the same decision after meeting this Jesus in 4K. That he is God. He's the Messiah. I am. And that changed everything for them. Changed everything. Listen, I'm not responsible for what you do with Jesus. I am responsible for what I do with Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? Maybe you got bad intel. Maybe you were told, oh, it doesn't matter. He's cool with whatever you do. Just show up to church every once in a while. Maybe you even justify some of the ways that you treat people. That's the way it's always been, my family. I don't know. Maybe you have a bunch of religious rules or social rules or cultural rules where, well, unless these people do it this way, you know, I don't. What's in your life? This Jesus is not that Jesus. C.S. Lewis, one of the most renowned uh, thinkers, um, authors in the 20th century, was an atheist. And then he met Jesus. <laughs> he meets Jesus, and he was forced with the same decision. And here's something that he came to and realized, and he wrote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the same level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. A lot of the Jews missed him because of that claim to be God. A lot of people today miss him because of that claim to be God. All roads lead to the same place. I don't want you to miss him. The big idea, once again, was Jesus went where no one would go. So that you can know this one truth, that he is the Christ. And that truth can set you free. 
Listen, I don't know what you thought brings unity in this world because we hear all kinds of things from all kinds of different people. Don't let culture define unity for you. Don't let society at large, media, don't even let your feelings decide what means unity, what brings unity in this world. There's only one thing that brings real unity, and that's the truth that Jesus brings. And that truth sets us free to know who this Jesus, who God is, to love others so that they would be open to hearing the word that can set them free as well. Don't miss out on Jesus. He did do what no one would do by going to the Samaritan, going to places where no one go, but then he went and did something that no one could do. He went to the cross, and he died, and then he rose from the dead. And the same thing that Paul, Peter, the Samaritan woman, and the rest of the disciples, when they came to the realization of who Jesus was in 4K clarity, they all had to come to this same conclusion. C.S. Lewis and is he really God that he raised from the dead? Because if he is, that changes everything. If he's not, why would I follow him? What have you done with Jesus? If you're ready, maybe today you realize, whoa, man, I, I didn't think about that. No, he really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know he's God. And maybe today is that day to say, just like Peter, confess that same confession. It's that confession, that conviction, that belief that Jesus really is the Son of God, that Jesus says he's going to build his church upon. That we begin to experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we become in his family, so that then we can go and help heal the world, tell others about his word. He wants to heal us so that we can help heal the world. And one day we'll be together with him forever. So if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, please text us. Email us your name. If you're in person here, you can come up front in just a few moments. I have decision coaches and my friends up here to help you. Take that, maybe make that confession or take the next step and be baptized in the name of Christ. If you're a Christian already and you've already said yes to Jesus, I hope that you, beginning, you're already feeling a little convicted, maybe like, wait a minute, what have you done with Jesus? Have you turned him into something that he's not? Have you been opening up his word to actually see who he is, not what you've heard about him? Are there any barriers that you've created in your life so that you won't go to those people? Who do you need to go to? Conviction starts here, truth starts here, so then I can go share it with someone else. Will you allow him to do that in your life? It starts with repentance to say, I'm sorry. And then follow him. Trust him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have communion, a time of communion. If you're a believer, anybody, when you, can, when you come in each weekend, you can take communion. When you walk in the doors, there's a, a little kind of piece of bread that represents his body, the juice that represents his blood, because on the cross he shed them for us so that he could take on the sin. Remember, he knew temptation. He knew everything that we've experienced, but he never sinned. He took our sin on the cross and nailed it there, paid the, the penalty, the debt that we owe, so that we can experience his grace. He was treated unjustly, so that we could experience His grace and His mercy. Communion is a reminder of that. Our freedom is not in us. This information that you know, Peter, is not because of you, your intellect. It's because of what God has done in you, the Holy Spirit. So we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us, what God has done. And then we're convicted to go live like Him in the world. So if you're a Christian, take this moment. Allow God to convict you through the Holy Spirit. What does He need to do in our life to prepare us to go back in the world to love them? 
If you're not a Christian during this time, maybe consider, pause, and reflect, meditate, pray even about this Jesus. What have you done with him? And what do you, want to, what do you need to do with him now, knowing this about him? Let me pray. And during this prayer, I encourage you to pray alongside of Believe that he really is listening to you. He knows you're passing your current situation and he's here to give you what you need. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. And in this moment, I just want to say thank you for being a God who has revealed yourself to us. You have not, it's not a mystery of who you are. It's a mystery of how you could do what you've done. But we know who you are. Thank you for this 4K clarity, this crystal clear image of who you are, that you are God. You are the Messiah and you came to save. You came to go where no one would go and do what no one could do so that we could know you. I pray that there are those watching online or in person that maybe for the first time are coming to that realization, that decision, and they're ready to say, claim you as their Lord and Savior, that you really are Jesus, the Son of the living God. And we celebrate that. They would make it known and make it public and be baptized, Lord, like we would receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of our sins and then go live like you in the world. I pray that for the Christians maybe that are watching and listening, that some of us, we would allow you to convict us because there are probably some things in our life that we have not been faithful to you about. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. So that... You can set us free to go love the world and share your words, word so that others can be set free and do the same. Disciples making disciples. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Hey, during this time, it's a time of communion or you can come up and make that faith known so we can help you take that next step.